Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of John and what it means for our lives to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Aaron and me in conversation today are Courtney Hatcher and Patty Doring. Patty, did I say your name right? You did. Okay, good. We're glad to have the two of you with us. And we're going to jump right into our first things first question. Sometimes we ask how the two of you know one another, but the two of you don't know one another. So this is a first time meeting for the two of you. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have. And we'll do our first things first question. When you answer it, give a brief bio about yourself and then answer the question. All right. So the first things first question is where was the first wedding you attended and who was getting married? And Patty, you get to kick us off. Thank you, Amber. Uh, Patty Doring, um, I have been a member of the church for 40 years, so I have long, long history uh, with the church. Uh, I have two sons, and they have done their job a- in making me a grandmother, so oh, I'm, wow. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes, the, uh, grand- grandchildren are a sweet mercy for people uh, as we age. But um, within the last year, well, excuse me, I've been married now for for a year to my husband, Terry, and he has three children, two daughters and a son, and they too have done their job and, and given him grandchildren. So between the two of us, we have 17 wow. wonderful, oh, wow. wonderful little sweet mercies of God. I think the oldest is 23 and the youngest is one. So oh, we wow. get to run the whole gamut so of, of infancy to, and the, the oldest is engaged to be married. So that will be, that will be interesting. So the first wedding that I remember attending, uh, thinking back at, over my long years, I just out of high school, Two sweet friends who I went to high school with, both the the groom and the bride, I knew dearly. Um, they were dear, dear friends, and how do you say this? It, she had they had to they had to marry. She was she found that she was pregnant, and so it was that type of situation. But I do remember being at that wedding, and she asked me to be maid of honor, and I was glad to do that and to support her. But in that moment, in the middle of the marriage vows, that you had such great hope and and just a a sense of, yes, they're coming together um, in the eyes of God, and you had hope in what could have been a pretty difficult situation, and it turned out to be a difficult situation overall. But in that moment, you rejoice Mm -hmm. in the hope of the wedding vows, Mm because they are powerful, powerful Mm -hmm. vows. That's beautiful. So I'm Courtney Hatcher. My husband is Adam. He grew up in Augusta. Uh, I'm from Virginia originally. And we've been here at First Press for, oh, must be nine years now. And uh, back in Augusta since 2007. So we have three beautiful, rambunctious boys that are 13, 10, and 4. They like to eat (laughs) be active. Uh, There's a lot of WrestleMania around my house Mm -hmm. uh, and I love it. Um, So my husband, Adam, is a businessman and a lawyer here in town and I'm an educator taking this year off to be with my kids and attend to some family needs and that's been good. I was thinking about the first wedding I ever attended and I don't actually have a memory of it, but it's a very popular family story for my aunt 
Terry and my uncle Steve, they got married when I was about two years old. And I remember seeing pictures and just thinking she looked just like Princess Diana. Oh, wow. You know, she had the beautiful white lace mm-hmm. and she had the hair feathered just right. And, uh, <laughs> and I was two years old and I danced the night away on my dad's feet. And I put my oh. feet on top of his feet and just loved dancing. I still love to dance. Uh, and it was just a really joyful time. And family have told lots of stories about that. And that's pretty neat because my Uncle Steve and my Aunt Terry are the members of my family that really helped me to come to know the Lord when I was 18 years old. And so they're very special in my life. So I don't remember going to a ton of weddings growing up, um, just a handful, maybe not even that many. But the one that's most memorable, I was in college my earliest uh, wedding that I recall and felt important to me. My roommate got married and I was in her wedding. And I remember missing the bridesmaid call. Like, you know, have to walk in the certain pace at the certain, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. whatever timing or whatever. And I got behind. And so I was making up time down the aisle and there was definitely snickering. I was in college, y'all. <laughs> Too old to be acting a fool. And there was definitely some snickering as I scurried down the hall or the aisle because everyone else was doing the, you know, mm-hmm. the Princess Diana shuffle down the aisle. <laughs> and right. I'm like trying to catch up. So anyway, that was probably my most... Uh, Memorable. Memorable first wedding. Yeah. The other ones I have just vague memories. That's funny. One of my first that I remember was my high school friend getting married that I had grown up with. And she got married in college about two years in. And I didn't go to the same college as her. And I flew home to go to her wedding. And I just remember thinking, how did we get to this stage already? How did you already Uh get here where you're getting married? Just yesterday, I'm pretty sure we were dressed up as ladybugs for Halloween. And now (laughs) you're getting married. And so it was just this first sort of me thinking, wow, this is coming. And will this come for me? I remember I wore this yellow bridesmaids dress. Remember that? But I do remember thinking, what if this isn't ever me? And of course, I was pretty young to be thinking that. But you have that thought when your friend jumps ahead of you in life and you're waiting for something that's pretty spectacular. So I just was thinking as we're coming into this passage for today, if you listened to our podcast last week, then you will remember that we talked about Jesus's arrest, his betrayal, Peter's denial, just the darkness of that hour. And we didn't talk about Jesus's crucifixion, but that's what happens in in chapter 19. We talked about chapter 18 last time, and then you have chapter 19, Jesus's crucifixion. And then now we're in chapter 20. And it's as if we are waiting for this glorious thing to occur. And here we are at it. If you think about chapter 18, what we talked about before, you really can't escape the fact that there's darkness. You know, it's darkness of night. Like I said before, there's betrayal, it's rebellion, it's weakness. Jesus's arrest, you have Peter's denial. And then when you move into chapter 19 in the crucifixion, the gospel writer Mark tells us that darkness came over the whole land from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. And it was a divine, not a natural occurrence. And in that darkness, John tells us that Jesus said, it is finished. He bowed his head. He gave up his spirit. And you ask, what was finished? And it was the work of justification. Jesus drinking the cup of God's wrath for the sins of mankind. It was a work that was planned and orchestrated from before the beginning of time. And it's now accomplished. But in that moment, not everything is finished in the sense that the death of Jesus is by no means the end of the story. You know, if it is, the Apostle Paul says, then we, those who believe in the Lord Jesus, 
are to be more pitied than all men. Paul says it like this to Christian believers in the church at Corinth who are apparently questioning the resurrection of the dead. And Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not yet been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And what we see here in our passage is that life has to conquer death. Light has to conquer darkness, or we are only left with a pitiable hope, which is why our passage for today is so important. We are talking about John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. And if you have not read these verses, you're listening and you haven't read these verses, I highly encourage you to hit the pause button, stop, read them now, and then come back to our conversation because you'll get so much more out of it if you do. We see in our passage the resurrected Jesus. And we see what John has been building to from the beginning of chapter one. You remember in the beginning of chapter one, John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made and without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And chapter 20 starts in darkness and moves to light in the most beautiful, touching, emboldening, and faith-creating way. So Aaron, talk to us a little bit about the remnants of darkness here in our passage, literal and figurative. You know, we start out, verse 1 says that Mary comes and it is still dark. Talk to us a little bit about that. Mm Mm-hmm. So we are, you know, much of the business, like you already said, was uh, happening on Good Friday. The atonement for our sins was complete. And Jesus has finished his work in a sense, like he is resting. He is in his Sabbath. Um, His work on earth is largely done and we are awaiting the resurrection. But here we are on Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene shows up at the tomb and is afraid. She's heartbroken. She's sad. She's afraid. And Jesus is told during his earthly ministry that he's come to get rid of the sadness. He's come to get rid of sin and death. And so surely she's confused. And I think primarily just heartbroken that her Lord and Savior that she loves to the uttermost is, is not there. Yeah, because tell us what major thing he did for her, Mary Yeah, Magdalene. yeah, he delivered her from these demons, and I think that you hear this uh, verse about her where it says, he's been forgiven much, loves much, and I think all of us will resonate with that. Like, if we've known the depths of our sin, we can all be that person who knows they've been forgiven much. It doesn't have to be this demon deliverance that we have to experience that to know the fullness of God's love. But yeah, she surely loved the Lord. She displayed her love so fully during his earthly ministry. And here she is again at the tomb, showing her love, showing Mm -hmm. her concern, looking for her Lord. And I love how this 
you see, you know, John opens up with this creation narrative almost. Yeah. And you see that again here, like we're back in the garden. And she even mistakes Jesus for the gardener. Like she's looking for the light. She's looking for this new covenant that Jesus has promised. And her eyes aren't yet open to that. But I love when she is called by him. Then that's when the lights go on for her. And she's like, you are who you said you are. And it really is this beautiful moment of darkness to light. And so I think this passage is so powerful. The resurrection power on full display. I think for all of us, it calls to mind our darkness to light moments. And I say moments with a plural because I feel like a lot of us, Courtney, you referenced your salvation moment earlier, 18. Obviously, that was a memorable moment for you, but I'm sure you could speak of many moments of where you've been delivered from darkness to light. So I think that Mm -hmm. just meditating on this passage has helped me remember how many times the Lord has delivered me and continues to to deliver me from darkness to light. Yeah, if you think about the remnants of darkness, and if you were to categorize them, they are unbelief and the inability to believe and misunderstanding. There's like you said, there's love in this passage. Obviously, Mary Magdalene loves the Lord Jesus, but she doesn't really know who she's looking for. Like, I love that statement when Jesus says, who are you looking for? Mm -hmm. That it's almost a gentle corrective in the sense of you're looking for someone who would still be in a tomb, but I'm a living savior and a redirection of understanding you love me, but you still didn't fully know me. And yet light is dawning and light comes when you encounter the resurrected Jesus. So I love that. I mean, you really see not only does light spiritual light come in this passage, actual physical light comes, you move from it's early in the morning, it's dark and the sun comes up and they are allowed to see certain things that are really important. Well, Mary sees angels, you know, they're dressed in white, they're light. They are evidence that there is divine action has taken place here. John and Peter, when they run to the tomb, they look in, you know, Peter runs in and John looks in and they see linen cloths, head cloths, proofs that Jesus is no longer contained in the tomb, the proof that his body wasn't stolen. I love this. You know, you think if someone's going to steal a body, they're not going to take the time to take the expensive linen and all the spices and things that they actually could have made money from. Strip that body down, leave all those things and take a body. You just, you have the historical proofs in this passage and you have spiritual proofs in this passage. I love the combination. So they see a physical sign that something has happened different than when Lazarus was raised from the dead. When Mm -hmm. Lazarus exited the grave, he was still wearing all of his grave clothes, but Jesus rose up right through those grave clothes and left them behind. I love that contrast. And then Mary, of course, sees Jesus himself. And she sees initially by hearing his voice, like you said, my sheep know my voice. She hears Jesus say her name and she understands who he is. She touches him. She clings to him. And she moves from this just, like you said, this grief, this heartbreak to mission. She doesn't fully get it yet either. She, you know, she calls him teacher, which is true but not completely full. But she has gone from, you got to think, man, everything is kind of ended. It feels like it's all ended. And no, 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 it's beginning. Go and tell. So I just love that. You move from that little bit of darkness into light. You see that in this passage. And everybody that encounters the risen Christ is changed. Resurrection changes people. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit more today. So those are some things that stood out to us in the passage. What stood out to you as you were looking at this? Things that were curious or interesting to you? What did you see? As I looked at the passage, I really was struck just how eyewitness everything was. Yeah. These Mm -hmm. little details that just if you were writing a story to as a storybook, you wouldn't write these details. You know, things like how Peter outran John, the linen cloth lying there, and just the way that things are 
described. It's very much an eyewitness account. And I thought that that was really interesting. I thought it was really interesting how Mary doesn't go in and she has definitely a story she's telling herself about the bodies missing and someone has stolen my savior's body and she's mm-hmm. so upset and so worried about it and she um and she runs there's a lot of urgency and desperation in all of it i love how john and peter run fast i love that little detail about peter outrunning john on the way to the tomb and i think about peter and how he must be feeling coming into this having denied christ three times and I wondered about what was behind that for Peter. What's he feeling as he runs to the tomb? Is he feeling shame? Is he feeling desperation? Is he feeling hope? Uh, You know, I just, I really wondered about what Peter was feeling. He cut off the guard's ear. There's so many things that he, that he's done and and so many questions I think he has for Jesus because he, I think he knew he was supposed to be the rock of the church. I think it was really interesting to me that John stops outside, Mary stops outside and Peter rushes in and he's kind of a, a, uh, passionate person. I thought he just, he ran right in. He pursues Jesus in such a way that he just entered the tomb. I also thought about the fact that the stone was rolled away and that the linen was lying there. You know, I thought about later Jesus walks through walls seemingly and appears in places. So he didn't need that stone rolled away. But I thought about the fact of that tomb being uh, opened and that stone rolled away and that act of entering and of seeing the evidence of the grave cloths lying there just being a way of God saying, come in, see the evidence, understand that I am no longer here. Uh, It was really for all those around to be able to put their faith in Jesus, just like he says to Thomas in the next chapter, you know, put your hands in my side. I feel like it's sort of like that. Mm -hmm. I love all those things that you pull out that it's, it's making that passage pop off the page in a sense, like those details keep it from being just sort of one dimensional, but the eyewitness accounts that make it come to life and make you think this is something that took place in history. This was a real event. I am so enjoying hearing y'all's perspectives and what you glean from scripture because it's so, so rich and multi-layered. So from the first question of what I, what caught my interest in particular was in verses eight and nine, uh, finally the other disciple who reached the tomb first went inside, he saw and believed Uh, They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And I'm not real sure what John comes to believe at that moment, but something happened. He believed something. Um, Something was different than from before. Was it complete? I don't know. But reading that prompted me to um, later on in chapter 20, verse 29, when Jesus tells Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And at that point, it picks up to me. I did not see. I was not an eyewitness account. And it was like, oh, thanks, Jesus. For Mm. I, you know, we receive a blessing. I don't know what it is, but it's real because it's in Scripture that we who are not there, who didn't see it firsthand. And yes, we do have the scripture um, complete, but we were not there, but yet we have believed in those words. Mm-hmm. And and that is, he has blessed us. And that is a magnificent thing to have as part of your life in describing who you are. I'm blessed by Jesus. 
Why? Because I believed. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't there, and yet I believed. Mm-hmm. So that that's what stuck out, or in particular, I honed in on, and prompted me to recall something else. And in, in the order of that, you're blessed, and that blessing is the belief, not. Mm-hmm. I believed, you know, I put all the pieces together. Mm-hmm. I got my mind right, myself straight, and then I was blessed. But the blessing is the belief. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Patty, you talking about that made me remember one of my darkness to light moments in this passage in Job where it says, Job 42, so he's, you know, endured all of his hardship. And he says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And even though that was not necessarily that physical representation of Jesus, I think we can all remember a time where we knew about Jesus, but then your eyes are open to him. It is just like a new light, a new revelation of who he is and his realness and his presence with you. So just you talking about that made me think of you. And for those of y'all that know me, you know, I have a daughter named Maggie and she, that's short for Magdalene. And she was born right before Easter. And Aww. that's why we that's cool. we chose yeah. her name. Like I, I think know. we both liked Maggie, Magdalene's pretty name. Obviously it's a place, whatever, we'll ignore that detail. But she was born right before Easter. And I love that, that she's the, one of the first people at the tomb. And she's one of the first missionaries going to tell the guys mm-hmm. like, hey, Jesus isn't here and anyway so so I love her whole character throughout the biblical narrative so I think she her is intriguing like her heartbreak over the Lord her searching for the Lord her telling of his goodness her love for the Lord um just love her scene at the tomb and her powerful witness of who God is and, and how he's delivered her and what he's done for us and also how the Lord interacts with her so tenderly like he calls her by name and he I think it's just such a such a reminder through this whole passage the way that he is tender with each of the people he encounters that he knows where they are and he interacts with them in a way that he he knows that they need to be um, seen or heard or understood or like Thomas he needs some hands in the side you know like he needs that proof I don't know if that's the right word but he just he met him where he was and uh, mm-hmm. that makes it um, very beautiful to think of the Lord that way that he meets us where we are he comes to us in a way he condescends to us as man and this new creation narrative that we see here at the resurrection like you see that in your own story like he is making us each into a new creation I, did, I love that he comes to Mary Magdalene and that's the first one who sees him face to face. She's the first one who sees mm. him face to face. And it's part of it because he decides that he's going to show himself to a woman whose testimony isn't allowed in court, either in the Jewish court or the Roman court. Right. And he doesn't need the testimony of man. Um, but he decides to come and dignify her with mm-hmm. that and give her that testimony. I love that, that he comes to one who um, loved him so much because she was forgiven so much. Mm-hmm. And just the, mm, just that that's what Jesus does. He comes to those who need him, reveals himself. And of course, the same is true for the disciples. It's not that one is better than the other, but I do just love what that represents. If we feel as if Jesus isn't going to reveal himself to me, he's not going to show himself to me. Yeah, he is. All right, so as we're thinking about um, this scene, let's consider how the characters in the passage approached and responded to Jesus, and how do their actions and words teach us about our own? Patty, what'd you think? I saw Mary in, in the beginning doing her duty on that Sunday morning, first day of the week. And I don't know how or why I, I think in terms of her coming to take care of the body or, or to... Um, uh, see to that of the of of the dead, um, and just off script, I I feel we have 
um, when we're not with bodies that have died and we, we no longer have that duty or we're no longer to care for dead bodies, I think we have we have lost something in that. I agree, Patty. Watching someone die in their last uh-huh. moments, man. It's uh-huh. A- uh-huh. And then taking care of the body right. afterwards, yeah, preparing totally. um, preparing for it. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so she's doing her job. job. She's doing her duty. And then she comes upon the unexpected, and and that is the body's not there, and she, so she runs back to report. You know, sounding it sounded both excited and and fearful, confused, emotional, and I can relate to that. If I, I've got a duty to do, I've got housework to do, or, or things that are before me, tasks to be done, I do them. And if something's off. I am immediately derailed in my thinking um, and how I respond to things. And so I miss beautiful moments that are, um, that are there. And so in the beginning, she doesn't recognize and doesn't see the angels. And she doesn't recognize Jesus. And I don't know if she was supposed to or, or, or not at that moment. But I have come to the conclusion in, in my life that when I am thrown off track, from my duties, I lose sight of Jesus, and it becomes about that task that I'm about to fail in. Mm-hmm. It comes, mm-hmm. it comes to a mystery or a problem that I cannot solve. I, I am confused. I want answers, and I miss seeing the spiritual, the divine, the Lord Himself. And so, and in that regards, I, I see Mary and and how I interpreted reading scripture, reading that passage, who I could relate to and apply it to my own life. I miss seeing the Lord in that moment. Yeah, listening to you say that is, that's a, a really helpful insight to me. And because I think you're right. When Mary, there's no doubt she loves Jesus, mm-hmm. that she's set on serving him in such an intimate and costly, in a sense, way. And yeah, that's all that that's all that she's set on. She's pretty sure that she understands the situation, or she at least how she's viewing it is all from her own vantage point. And oftentimes that is how I go about things. That this is how I understand it. This is what needs to be done. Even if it, I think it's out of a love for the Lord or for my people or for whatever, and it gets derailed, then I just keep following with my own train of thought. And you don't let, like you said, Jesus to break in to say, see what I'm doing. I'm doing a different thing. That's really helpful to me. Yeah. I've really thought about Mary standing out the side of the tomb weeping and uh, I've just been thinking about how she weeps and she waits, and she didn't leave. When John and Peter left, she stayed. Uh, and I think she was the first to arrive before dawn, and she waits afterward. And it made me think about, uh, do I wait on the Lord? And as I looked at that passage, and do I do I really weep over the death of Jesus and the, and the loss and just how much her heart longed for him in that situation. So it made me think about the weeping and the waiting and and how that led later to her hearing him call her by name in that intimate um, way that he asked her a question 
As Jesus so often does, he asked her a good question to engage her. He pursued her, and then she responds. And and that word where she embraces him is really she clings to him. And she just, I just get this imagination of her just holding him so tight, and she doesn't want to let go. And it made me think about that. You know, I don't want to just know about Jesus. I don't want to know just know about God, but I want to know Jesus, mm-hmm. and I want to be that close to him like she was and embrace him and have that intimate personal connection that she did with him. I thought about that too, just the the love that's expressed. We're moving from maybe what we see in the characters and how we relate to those characters ourselves. What did you see about who Jesus is in this passage, what he says about himself and and how did what he said about himself or what he did strengthen or challenge your belief in, in who he is? There was something in his response to Mary as she clung to him wonderfully and so emotionally. And he said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And, you know, not being a scholar, per se, of of Scripture, I I don't know what that, what is he meaning by that? Don't, I am not yet ascended. And I know ascension is... Uh, is so important, and we make a moment of that uh, at this church to, you know, the importance of his ascension. So I, I, I wondered about that. What is it? He has not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead and tell the brothers um, what you have seen. Um, so I was, I just wondered, what did, what does that say about what Jesus was supposed to be uh, doing? What does it mean? How is it different from here on when he was on earth, God is with us, to now he's ascended and at the right hand of the Father? How is that different? What does that What does that mean? What is Jesus here and what is Jesus ascended? What does that um, mean for mm-hmm. for us and uh, and for Mary in particular? Because it's there relating. So I, I, I wondered about that and what that meant and what that said about who Jesus is, because obviously that means something that he ascended. I just thought it when he says to her, don't cling to me, I thought he was saying, you know, don't, don't hold too tight. And, and he's promising that when he ascends, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. We know that. And so it's a much better thing for him to go, he says, so that I, he can send his Holy Spirit um, so that he can actually indwell us um, through the mystery of the Trinity and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so um, he's, I think he's telling Mary he wants to give her something even better than just being able to cling to him here on earth, but he wants to finish his mission. And he tells her, go and s- to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And I was just amazed by that, to think that he calls us his brothers and sisters, and that he calls God our Father as well, and our God, and just how we're co-heirs with Christ. That's amazing that we are no longer his enemies. We were his enemies, but it is finished on the cross. The atonement has been made for our sins and our shame, and uh, he wants her to go and tell the other disciples that. And um, she goes and announces, I've seen the Lord. And I think that's just a beautiful way that she responds, and it, it has to be told. 
just so you know, if you still are struggling with that, I was reading some of Augustine's sermons on this passage, and he definitely is like struggling with this too. Obviously, we look to him to help us sort out some of these early church doctrines, and um, he's he's also wrestling with that, Patty. Just like, what exactly does that mean? Because obviously, later on, he lets Thomas put his hands in his side. Maybe like where you were going, Courtney, I think both just like not to hold too tightly, go and tell is more of the mission. I'm pouring out my spirit. I think all of that's on the table. But also there is a mystery there of exactly what it is. And I think in the sermon, Augustine says he's, I guess, you know, trying to keep it short. Even back then, he's like, we have this brief time to look at this, but it is worth uh, meditating on for those who have the leisure. So Mm. I think it's something worth meditating on Mm. if you still Mm -hmm. feel like that there's something to be uh, learned from from that. And I think there is. I think when I'm thinking about how Jesus is interacting with Mary and the disciples at the tomb, I see him again, just so tenderly entering into that situation. And he's showing up as their deliverer. They are showing up as completely dependent on them. And I have some, like probably everyone with two ears on their head, uh, some hard decisions kind of looming over our head and it feels like it's settling squarely over my shoulders. And so I was talking to a friend about this this morning and just how easily we can let these big things, negative things, suffering, death, play major character roles in our story. And we were just talking about how it's our delight when our Savior is the, the center of our story. Like that is who we want to be as followers of Jesus. We want him to be the center of our story, the one that we are dependent on, the one that we look to and call deliver. And I was remembering when I was talking to her that earlier this year that I was reading through Philippians, and you're probably familiar with the passage in chapter three, but it's talking about how we know the power and the hope of the resurrection in Jesus' sufferings. So I think that we know him calling our name at the resurrection tomb and the new creation when we are in our sufferings, maybe the most. And I think just keeping him at the center of our story, naming him as our deliverer and our savior. What I thought about is, as Mary said, I have seen the Lord. Uh, And she told them that he said these things. The Lord told me I'm to tell you these things to her. Um, So, I want to be able to talk and discuss the words of Jesus rather than my own words. I'm going to go and tell because Jesus told me to tell. not the th- So to tell of his words, the things that he says, that he tells me to do. I don't know if that makes sense, but I know throughout my long life, most of the words that I've uttered have been mine, originated from my thoughts, my ideas, me, me, me. But I want to go and tell what Jesus tells me to go tell. I'm, I'm smiling as you say that because I so resonate with it. And I'm thinking about that Mary went to tell twice. And mm-hmm. the first time she went to tell, she had it all wrong, right? <laughs> I mean, that was her perspective. Somebody's still That's in great. the body, you That's know? Great, yeah. But the second time that she went to tell, she had it all right because Jesus had clarified what was going on in the situation. So her story was totally different. One was from her own perspective and one was from his. So. Wow. That's good. And I think that she just told the story that God gave her to tell. You know, it was really a testimony. Mm. Um, And I was thinking about John. He goes into the tomb and he examines the evidence and made me think, do I bring my doubts and my thoughts to God and really puzzle them out because he's big enough for any of our questions, any of our doubts, any of our wonderings. And, And he says, look at the evidence. It's here. 
The grave clothes are lying there orderly and the head cloth separate. He's a God of order and his evidence is laid out there for us to see. And and do I run hard after Jesus? Do I do I run hard to to come there? And do I do I make room for intimate personal experience of Jesus like Mary who stayed by the tomb? who wept there, who waited. God often calls us to wait. And that's one of the things I think I'm worst at. Do I wait on him? And and then who am I telling? I have seen the Lord. Who am I telling my story? Mm-hmm. And just sharing that love so that others can feel it too. Yeah, I like how you're saying, do I make time for that intimate interaction uh, with, with Mary being there in that place? And I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller not too long ago, and he was talking about the verse from Ephesians where his prayer is just that they would know the love of Christ in deeper ways, how wide and long and high and deep. And and he just was addressing the fact that don't we long for that? Don't we long to encounter the love of Jesus? And how do you go about encountering it? And so he, he talked about, you know, there are some practical ways. There's there's prayer and there's scripture reading. And to put those things, to run hard in a sense, to come to that place, to find that time. But then he also just said, but at the same time, be aware that you're not looking for just a, an, an emotional experience. You're looking for Jesus. That's and, right. And you can't you can't get there on your own. He has to encounter you. And so, Mm -hmm. yes, you do these things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, you have to. He's like, I'm sorry to tell you, you can't get there any other way. But even in doing those things, you have to wait on Mm -hmm. on the Lord and recognize that it's Him encountering you, not you drumming that up. And I just always have to be reminded of that. And I feel like the whole book of John has just been a refresher to me just to walk through this each week and knowing that the love of Jesus, the resurrection power that we experience through his deliverance is a beautiful thing. And it does change everything. Patty and Courtney, thank you for both joining us today. Listeners, we hope you will join us again next week. Let us keep you company while you mow the lawn or plant your garden. Pastor John Barrett and Chris Williams will be joining us to talk about a summary of John. Hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again. A season of pure shining to cheer it after the rain.